thankful that the Lord loves you? Can we just celebrate his love right now? Could you just, if you're sitting, could you stand? Could you just raise your hand and your voices? I know it's a Wednesday night, but could we just thank the Lord right now? Out of our spirit, out of our heart, out of a heart of thanksgiving right now, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. You loved us while we didn't even know you. While we were enemies, while we were strangers. I think there's a praise in this house on a Wednesday night. I think there's a praise in this house on a Wednesday night. Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you for loving me, Lord. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. There are many days when we are unlovable. Amen. Can anybody testify to that? How many of you have some bad days, some down days? Pastor challenged us to no complaining for 10 days. I'm not even going to take a poll right now of how many's got a perfect record. But you know, just like we always say, God's love for us never quits, never stops. Never stops. If we've got a promise to hold on to, that's a promise we can hold on to. Amen? Why don't you turn around and high-five somebody and say, neighbor, I'm glad to see you on a Wednesday night in the middle of a rainstorm. In the middle of a rainstorm, we thank God for Wednesday warriors. Amen? I said, we thank God for Wednesday warriors. Amen. We're going to continue in James James chapter 4, verse 11. I know they're telling me we're having technical difficulties, but you've got the paper there. And I know you've got a Bible. Did our first lady do an amazing job last Wednesday night? I thankful for her and her incredible ministry. And then pastor, he just came behind her Sunday and just preached the house down. I hope you were here Sunday because he brought us a word. Amen. I was a word for this church. So I'm very thankful for them. And I'm thankful to be here tonight. Thankful to be among people who love the Lord and love each other. I say this all the time. It's good to be in God's house with God's people. Amen. Because then you never know what's going to happen. Where God's presence is, his power is. And God can take an ordinary Wednesday night and turn it into a miracle night. I believe that. I believe that. James 4, verse 11. Before I go there, I want to give you some humor, as Pastor would say, because what I'm about to read to you is going to need some humor in front of it. All right? Somebody asked why Noah wasn't a better fisherman seeing he was surrounded with water on a continuous basis. The answer is easy. He only had two worms to work with. Some of you won't get that, but it's all right anyway. That's my best attempt at dad's humor, dad humor. Two worms, praise God. No worms helped us on the fishing trip, so I just leave it at that. But we had a good time anyway. 
James 4, verse 11. I'm going to read to you from a different translation that you don't probably most likely have, but it's a more modern translation. Brothers and sisters, never say bad things about each other. Anytime you speak against fellow believers or you judge or you badmouth them, you judge and condemn God's law. When you are judging God's law, you're not keeping it yourself. Instead, you set yourself up as the judge. Remember, God is the only true lawgiver and judge, and he alone has the authority to save or destroy. So then, who are you and what gives you the right to pass judgment on others? This is a heavy two verses. The faith, James says you can have faith. God's going to give us the faith to not judge others. Amen. Lord, speak to us out of your word. I know these are not easy verses, but you put them here on purpose because we needed it. Not because we wanted it, because we need it. And I just ask you speak to us tonight, Lord. Let your words download your thoughts, download into my mind and my spirit, and let me deliver, God, what you have for this night. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're thankful for the word of the Lord, you can be seated. Amen. Three important questions that James is dealing with here tonight. Number one, and I hope you have a handout because your handout's going to be very important tonight. Number one, why are we so quick to judge others. Number two, why should I not be judgmental of others? And number three, this is the important one that I really want us to get to tonight. How can I learn to be less? Everybody say less judgmental. So the question, let me just help you tonight because I know it would be easy for us to sit here and say, well, he's probably talking about someone else. No, the question is not if we are judgmental, it's just how much we are really judgmental. Amen? How many of us will be honest enough to say in our life we have dealt with being judgmental in some shape, form, or fashion? Right? All of us. All of us. So it's very important. So why are we so quick to judge others? This is in your handout. James says that there are two reasons why we tend to be judgmental of others. The first one is our own guilt. And this is where you need to write this down. We want to excuse our own failures. We want to excuse our own failures. It starts with Adam. Adam was the first man that sinned. He did two things. He excused his own sin, and then he did what? He accused Eve of being the cause of his sin. And ever since then, it has been in our human nature to do what? To accuse. Everybody say accuse. And excuse, and we make excuses for our own behavior, and we accuse others of something else. I used this illustration a few weeks ago, but I think it goes worth bearing. When I lived in my neighborhood in Houston, and I knew that I needed to have my lawn mowed, when I rode down the street going out of my subdivision, there was always someone else who had a worse-looking lawn than me, Right? And so what did I do? I said, look, that is awesome. Theirs looks worse than me, so I'm just going to take a little more time before I call the lawn man. What is that? We're projecting, 
right? We're projecting our inability to take responsibility for what's going on in our own yard. Amen? That's, that, that's good preaching right there. Amen? I, that, a lot of the times our challenge is, is not taking responsibility for what's happening in our life. And this is exactly where Adam had the problem and he transferred it to the entire human race. So we have to understand where judgmentalism comes from. Romans 2 and 3 says, when we feel guilty, when you, a mere human, pass judgment on others, do you think that by pointing your finger at others, you will distract God from seeing all of your misdoings and keeping him from judging you? It's amazing to me, especially in our, in our world, in our climate, in our culture, when we hear very public people, especially politicians, because it's so easy to pick on them, right? And they are standing up and they're doing what? They're condemning and judging people in the other party. And most of the time, they're the ones that have got all the problem and the chaos in their own backyard. Amen? So, and what is that? It's a diversion. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, when we judge others, it's like we are trying to subconsciously divert the attention of God from our own weaknesses and our own failures and point it to somewhere else. Amen. But it doesn't work for two reasons. Number one, God doesn't grade on a curve. He, in other words, God doesn't compare us to each other. I said, God doesn't compare us to each other. I'm sorry to tell you this, and I don't want to be a downer, but Jesus is the standard of perfection. So God's not judging us, and God's not judging me and my righteousness against the righteousness of Brother Carlton. No, God's judging me against the perfection of Jesus Christ. Say, that's a hard judge. That's what grace is for. I said, that's what grace is for. Thank God for grace and thank God that his righteousness has now become my righteousness, according to 2 Corinthians 5. Secondly, it doesn't work because it's like the old child's game. You remember as your elementary student, when you point one finger at someone else, how many fingers were pointing back at you? The second reason we are quick to judge is our pride. It's pride. Write this down. We want to feel superior to other people. It makes me feel better, I think about myself, if I can put someone else down, even if it's mentally, or if I can point out a sin that I think that they have. We need to be sure that when we see a person who is always criticizing, how many of you know, how many of you have been around people who are perpetually critical? You've been around those kind of people. Yes, we've all been around those kind of people. Everything that comes out of their mouth seems to be a judgment. But people who are secure in their own identity do not have the need to talk down to other people to make them feel better about themselves. Why? Because guilt causes us and pride, everybody say pride, causes us to judge others. And the worst form of pride Church is religious pride. (laughs) The Bible says it's a sin of self-righteousness. You see, here's the thing. We think that as, as, as we get closer to Christ and we get holier and we should be, that we should be holier and we can have the ability to look down on everybody else. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The holier we get, the more humility we should have. 
I mean, let me say that again. I said the holier we get, uh, we understand that it's not my holiness and not my righteousness, uh, but it's God's holiness uh, and God's righteousness. And it should put us in a place of humility to understand uh, that there is nothing that I can do to save myself. So if there's any goodness in me, if there's any righteousness in me, uh, if there's any good thing in me, uh, it is not because of David Grigsby. It's because the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives on the inside of me. Amen? So it should drive us to a place of humility, not arrogance. But the problem is, this is the challenge, right? And I'm not going to stay here because I know that we can beat a dead horse, so to speak. Sometimes you just got to get off the horse and switch horses. But the challenge is, is we can catch ourselves subconsciously saying in our minds, in our spirits, uh, well, I'm much better off than so-and-so. At least I'm not doing that, right? At least I'm not sinning that way. Be careful when you start thinking those thoughts. Pump the brakes, honey. I said pump the brakes because what you're doing is you're doing what I was just talking about. You're trying to take the attention off of your own failures, and point them to somebody else. Job 19.5, Job is talking to his friends, his righteous good friends. He says, you're trying to make yourselves look better than me by using my disgrace, using the problems in my life as an argument against me. He says, you know what? It's not just your guilt, it's your pride, and you want to make yourself look better while you're judging me. By the way, this is why people gossip. I said, this is why people gossip. I know we don't like to preach about gossip, but gossip is one of those sins that's listed along all the other abominations in the Bible that we do preach against. Amen? People gossip because they get a perverse pleasure in reading or seeing or talking about or listening about the downfall and the problems of other people. Why? Because it makes us feel better about what? About ourselves. But God condemns gossip. In fact, God condemns gossip many times in the Bible. Gossipers who are both prideful and insecure. And by the way, you can be certain that the people who gossip to you are probably the people who are gossiping about you. In fact, I can practically guarantee it. Why should we not judge others? James in chapter 4 points out three reasons in these two verses. Number one, this is in your notes. He says, judging others is unloving. Judging others is unloving. In other words, you can't love, hear me very carefully, we can't love someone and judge them at the same time. Judging is the opposite of Jesus' greatest commandment. James even calls it the royal law. The great commandment is the royal law. What is that? Love your neighbor as what? As yourself. How many of you will be honest and say, we're really good at loving ourselves? Right? So we can't judge and love at the same time. You can't act loving to, towards someone while you're judging them at the same time. We talked about this several weeks ago, James chapter 2. The royal law found in Scripture, verse 8 of 2, your, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, if you obey this law, you do the right thing. 
Then he goes on in chapter 4, verse 11. Anytime you speak against fellow believers as you judge, you badmouth them and you judge, and not just judge them, but you judge God's law. What law? You're judging the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. And he says you're breaking the greatest commandment every time you judge. You see, many people have the gift of criticism, but not the gift of encouragement. Amen? We got the gift of suspicion and criticism, but not the gift of encouragement. Second thing James says is that if you're judging others, he says judging others is God's job, not mine. He points out this in verse 12, and he says, remember, God is the only true lawgiver and judge. And the word lawgiver, I think, is only used maybe five times in the Bible, four times in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. God is the only true lawgiver. He alone has the authority to save or destroy Write this down, okay? And this is the message of the, this is the point of the whole message, and I should have put it in your notes, but you can write it down somewhere on your paper. Anytime I judge other people, I'm playing God. I said, anytime I judge other people, I'm playing God. Paul says in Romans 14, he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So if I look at you and I judge you, God says, that's not your servant, they're my servant. They're the Lord's servant, and I will judge them, not you. Why? Because judging others is unloving. Judging others is God's job, not mine. The third thing that James says is this. Judging others is not Christ-like. Remember, James is writing to Christian believers, and he says this in his verse. He says, my brothers and my sisters, what is he talking about? He is calling them into the fellowship of faith, into the family of faith. So if we call ourselves Christians, we're supposed to be like who? Christ, but we can't be like Christ if our life is filled with judgmentalism. John, in John 3, 17, God, what did he say? God did not send his son into the world to can what? To condemn it. He did not send it into the world to judge it uh, and the world be guilty, but to what? Save the world through himself. So if I want to be Christ-like, then what do I got to do? I've got to stop judging the world, and I've got to start moving the world to a place where I can point them to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. We can't judge people and in the same breath point them to Jesus. Amen? If people who are around us, who work with us, who live with us, who are in our neighborhood, understand, and people are not dumb, they may not be able to identify it theologically, but they know if you have a judgmental spirit and a critical spirit. Amen? And we did profess ourselves to be Christian or even, God forbid, have a fish on our bumper sticker. Right? So we're declaring to the world that we're a follower of Jesus Christ, but at the same time, we have a critical spirit. The Bible says that Satan is what? The accuser of the brethren. 
He accuses the believers. He is the source of all damning accusations because in Christ there is what? No condemnation. But Satan is the source of all damning accusations and he stands to accuse us all the time. And so when I stand in judgment of other believers, I stand in accusation of other believers. I'm simply doing Satan's job for him. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is we condemn the whole life and the whole personality of somebody just for one small action that we're disapproving of. Maybe I need to tell another Noah joke. Did you hear me? We judge people's entire life by one incident and circumstance. Let me, I just want to help you real quick because I know this is a heavy subject. Hear me very carefully. There is no person that is still alive that is beyond the reach of redemption. Doesn't matter how messed up their life looks like now, God's grace is more powerful than their mess up and their problem and their challenge. Look, I've seen men walk off a death row and God saved their life and redeemed their story. Amen? I've seen addicts. I've seen molesters. I've seen prostitutes. I've seen it all come to the understanding of God's grace and God redeem their story. There is no person I said, there is no person, no circumstance beyond God's redemption. So how do we end the cycle of judgmentalism? James gives us seven things. Number one, remember this. I am not the standard. And if I set myself up as the standard, then that's when I get judgmental. I didn't put this in your notes, but this is this is this bears worth remembering. Most of the time, we as good Christian people, we can't even live up to our own standard, much less God's standard. Amen. We have this set of rules in our head and subconscious, and I know it comes from a lot of different places. It comes from how we were raised. It comes from how we believe. All of these different things that have been fed into our spirit and into our psyche. And if we stood before the purity and the perfection of a holy God, which one day we will, we wouldn't even live up to our own standard, much less God's standard. And let me tell you something. God's standard is not our standard. I said, God's standard is not our standard. And I'm not talking about holiness. I'm talking about the power and the depth of God's love that he wants us to show others. I'm talking about the grace and the forgiveness that he wants us to extend others. And so we can't even do that in our flesh without the power of the Holy Ghost. How do you think that we can stand before God who is perfect and holy when we can't even stand and sit under our own standard? The weight of that crushes us. But we are not the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. This is the standard. Anybody had a perfect day? We couldn't even go five days without complaining. And Paul says, if it's not a faith, it's sin. 
So if you've had any disbelief in your life in the last 24 hours uh, or any fear in your life uh, or any kind of bad thought or bad image in your life, guess what? You can't even stand up to the standard of God for 24 hours and we can't even stand up to our own standard. And we have to remember, we are not the standard. But thank God for grace. I said, thank God for grace. I don't even have to... ah. I wish I could preach right now. I don't even have to worry about that. Not that I'm not worrying about that because I'm not here because I'm trying to live a place of perfection. I'm here trying to live a path and a life of pursuing after God and his holiness. Not my holiness, not my perfection, but God's holiness and God's perfection. But never forget, you're not the standard. Say, well, David, I just want to see people do better. I want to see people do better too. And I know people have got it in them to do better. And I know people have the ability through the power of the Holy Ghost to do better. But hear me very carefully. Don't look around your life. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Don't look around your life and your family and look to people who still have hearts of stone. They don't even have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They've never been in the waters of baptism. They've never made their way to the front of their building in a place of surrender. Don't look at those people and think uh, that they can live a certain standard uh, that you can't even live yourself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, how foolish do we think that we are? We make up our own standards to measure ourselves, and then we try to judge people by those standards, and we're not even the standard of perfection. Ladies and gentlemen, I fell short of the standard a long time ago. But by God's grace, when God sees me here very carefully, because it, it, it looks like and sounds like that I'm not preaching about that we can do better. But when God sees me, he doesn't see David Grigsby. He sees the righteousness, the perfected righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to my life. Number two, remember when you get ready to judge somebody else, you don't know the whole story. I don't know the hurts. I don't know the crisis. I don't know the limitation. I don't know all their background. I'm just seeing behavior. And sometimes their behavior and people's behavior is horrific. But understanding, they're acting out of something that's deep within inside of them. Their actions are just symptoms of what's deep within them. It's surface. But we don't know how far they've already come. I said we don't know how far they've already come. That's why we can stand and celebrate recovery in 30 on Friday night and say, I'm going to pick up a 30-day chip because I'm trying to get there. I was better than I was yesterday. I said, I was better than I was yesterday. I know the majority of us feel like we've already arrived. I'm sorry, you haven't. You haven't. If anything James exposes is our inability to be perfect. Because if you read it all the way through and study it all the way through, which we've done for 11 weeks, there's something that is here that is going to expose something in our heart. Proverbs 18, 18 13, Living Bible says, it is shameful. I'm not making, this is the, the, the Living Bible translation. It is shameful and stupid to decide before knowing the facts. You've got to get the whole story. 
Because when you look at an appearance and an outward behavior, you don't know the whole story. Hear me very carefully. Too many times we think we know people's entire story after only seeing one chapter. Let me say that again. Too many times we think we know people's entire story after just seeing one chapter. And we're all guilty of this. The third thing I have to remember is I truly, I may be wise and you may be all spiritual and have all the theological answers and questions answered, but really, truly, none of us know everyone's motivation. We don't know why people do what they do at certain times that they do it. So if we, and you know what, there's a lot of times we can't even figure out why we did dumb things. How many of you have done a dumb thing in the last 30 days? Said a dumb word. Thought a dumb thought. Right? And you think, man, where did that come from? And this is what James is talking about. We don't know, we don't know people's motivation. So 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, no one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he is really like except that person himself. I should not judge because there's no way that I can know your motivation and there's no way that you can know mine. Now, here's what I do want to add. Hear me very carefully because this is not in your notes, but I think that I need to address this. How many of you have ever been in a place where you're dealing with toxic people? Okay. Almost all of us have been in a place where we've dealt with toxic people in some shape, form, or relationship. I want to tell you what exposes toxic people, patterns. So how do we take James telling us not to judge, but knowing we're in close proximity to toxic people? I'm going to tell you something. Hear me very carefully. Toxic people need two things, healing and boundaries. Let me say that again. Toxic people need healing and boundaries. You should write yourself a note. What does that mean? If they are toxic, they need God to heal the toxicity in their life that is affecting and damaging those relationships. How do you know a person is toxic? They have left a trail of broken relationships behind them for years. That's a good word right there. So what do you do if you're in close proximity with that toxic person or even in relationship with that toxic person? You have to learn how to do what? Draw a boundary. And some of you need to learn how to walk away. Amen? So I want to I make sure that we navigate that, okay? If... A person is in a toxic, abusive relationship. How do you navigate what James is saying when he's saying don't judge? Okay? The fruit of their life testifies to you that this is a pattern. And they have the problem. But you can draw the boundary. Is that okay, pastor? A toxic person in that relationship gives you a pattern in their life. That's not the first broken relationship they've ever had. They leave a trail. So it's up to you now to pray for them, not judge them, ask God to heal them, but you still have the, you still have the responsibility to draw the boundary. 
We can have toxic people in our family and still draw boundaries. We can still love them, but we can love them from afar. Maybe I need another Noah joke, but it's good anyway. Amen? I, I, I want us to understand that because there is a very real reality to that. And God did not design you to leave you in a toxic environment and relationship. But here's what God says. Going to keep on going here. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, therefore judge no one. Look and circle that in your notes. Judge, judge no one before the appointed time. What is the appointed time? It's the time when the Lord is going to return. He goes on in chapter 5 and he says, the time for his return is to be is soon, so I want you to hold out. I'm paraphrasing, but this is what James is saying. He says, if he, God, will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, and he will expose the motive of man's hearts. God will expose our motivations, right? And at the same time, each will receive the right praise from God. So you can do, hear me very carefully, you can do the right thing and be doing it for the wrong motivation, and you can even be doing the right thing in the wrong way. And God says, at that time, you will receive the right praise from God. Number four, remember that I have blind spots that I can't see. All of us have blind spots. How many of you have almost, getting, you've almost been run over on the freeway because you got into a blind spot? Right? Or how many of you have almost run over somebody because they got in your blind spot? People who drive big trucks. You can see my blind spots, but I can't see those blind spots. I can see your blind spots, but you can't. We can't. Now, hear me very carefully. That's why you must be in an authentic, transparent relationship with someone else who can help you see your own blind spots. Amen? I have blind spots that I can't see. Jesus talked about this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, why are you so concerned about a speck of sawdust in someone else's eye when you've got a huge timber sticking out of your own eye? Right? How many of you heard that story before? Jesus said, hey, don't worry about getting the little bit of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. And I'm sure the disciples are like, Oh, Lord, are you, like, making a joke? Jesus said, I'm not making a joke. But here's another one for you. It's easier to strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. It's easier for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It was an exaggeration, but Jesus was trying to make a point. Why are you so concerned about the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye when you've got this huge timber sticking out of your uh, how dare you say, let me get the speck out of your eye when you've got the blind spot that's too big for you to even see for yourself. What's ironic is this, hear me very carefully, is that we tend to judge in others what we dislike about ourselves. Let me say that again. 
We tend to judge in others what we dislike about ourselves. If we're prideful, we tend to spot pride in other people quickly. If we're greedy, we tend to spot greed in other people. If we tend to struggle with fear, anger, and worry, we tend to notice it in other people's lives quicker. And we violently react to certain kinds of sin. And Jesus is saying, hey, before you cast judgment on that person, make sure you check your blind spot. Look at your neighbor and say, check your blind spot. 1 Corinthians 11.31, this is a powerful verse. He says this, hear me very carefully. If we judged ourselves in the right way, God would not even have to judge us. I, I, I don't know that you heard that verse. If we judged ourselves in the right way, God would not judge us. In other words, when we get a true evaluation of ourself, when we examine our self, when we're God level honest, when we're honest about ourself and we're honest toward God. Because here's the thing, we think because we don't address it in our life that God doesn't see it or pay attention to it. That's not wise thinking. And we think if, well, if I don't talk about it, right, or talk about it to myself, or if I don't even bring it up in prayer, then God's not worried about it. No, God knows where it's at, and he knows what it is. Are you with me? I said God knows where it's at, and he knows what it is, okay? But God's a gentleman, and he's wanting us to do the work of self-examination in our spirit, and we have to be the ones who have the maturity. You know what maturity is? Owning up to the mistake. Amen? Think about this verse for a second and realize what the Bible is saying. If we seriously examine our own lives where we've got blind spots and we evaluate them and we judge our own sins, if we would do this self-judgment of our own weaknesses and our own faults and our own failures, God is saying, I wouldn't even have to judge you. That should change the way that we think about our own blind spots. Number five, the Bible says, remember this, you must listen first. Listen first. Why is that? We can't be judgmental if we're truly listening compassionately, honestly, sincerely, and fairly. Remember what James said in chapter one? Be what? Quick. To listen, what? Slow to speak and slow to wrath. Slow to become angry. Just like Pastor preached to us several weeks ago. Love listens first. The reason that we can be judgmental about situations is all the reasons that I've just said. And the reason, another reason is we refuse to listen. The Bible says that love covers what? A multitude of sins. And when we listen in love, we have an understanding of where that person is coming from and what they're dealing with. They have to be honest about it themselves. Absolutely. All the above. But we have to get honest about our own self and we have to say, Lord, I'm standing here, I'm kneeling here, and I'm saying, let there be a light that is shining in my heart. That's not an easy prayer to pray. Right? I said, that's not an easy prayer to pray. You know how hard it is to teach this lesson right now? 
You know how hard it is for a human being, a man with flesh on him to teach this lesson right now? It is very, very difficult to teach this lesson right now. But I didn't write the book. I wish you'd left 11 and 12 out. I wish you'd just skipped over to chapter 5 where it says, call for the elders, let them lay hands on you, and you shall be healed. I wish we could go to that part. But James says, no, before we get there, you've got to understand there's some things you've got to work on in your own heart. And here's the challenge, ladies and gentlemen. It's in our heart. It's, this is an issue that is deep within our heart. I don't know how it got there. I guess it originally got there from pride from, from the very beginning all the way back to the garden. That's where it, 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 the origin is. But the challenge is this. There's very few of us, if we're really honest, that want to examine our own heart. Least of me, least of all me. I was praying this morning. I said, Lord, (laughs) this is going to be very difficult to get up and teach this lesson tonight. But I said, obviously, before you let me speak to anyone else, you better start speaking to me. I, that I'm, I'm afraid too many times we allow this world and this life to callous over and harden our heart and we refuse to do the work of self-examination. And we ask for God's forgiveness but we truly don't build an altar of repentance. Right? Am I, it, can somebody be honest and say, I'm preaching? Yeah, you're talking to me, Dave. It's easy for us, isn't it? No, this is full. This church is full of mature believers. It's easy for us to just sweep through the day or sweep through our morning or rush through our devotional time and say, yes, Lord, forgive me of all those crazy things that I've done. And we pay no more attention to them and we let that just ease our conscience. But we can't truly, hear me very carefully, ladies and gentlemen, and I want to be kind and sweet, and I think by now over a year of you hearing me teach, you know that I love you. But we cannot truly appreciate God's grace uh, if we don't understand how much he examines our sin. And we are not exempt, even as Christian full mature believers, we are not exempt from being in a place on a regular basis that we have to examine our own heart because we've got blind spots. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for people in my life that I can have a relationship with and say, hey, you know what? If there's a challenge here, is there something here you see in my life that you think that you need to address? That's not an easy thing to say. This is what I, I taught. Here's what I taught uh, students for years. Students have a lot of friends, they think, right? You know what I'm saying? It's amazing how much pressure they put on themselves in four years of high school, and then after that, they never see those people ever, ever again, and they put all their pressure, put all this pressure. But here's what I always tell students. I've, I've, I've said this for years, and now I think we need to tell adults this. You need somebody in your life that's a stop sign. 
You need somebody in your life when you're cruising down this freeway of life. You need somebody in your life and say, hey, hold on. You might, let's take a time out. Your attitude, your spirit, your heart, have you checked it? Have you, has somebody spoken into your life in a healthy way that you can see something about yourself? See, the reason that I know that this is true because we, we get uncomfortable when we talk about things like this because it's deeply rooted on the inside of our heart. We don't even like to do it with our spouses. Men, how many, when's the last time that you've given your wife free reign to say, hey, is there something in my spirit in my life that I need to pray about that you're seeing that I don't see? I'll move on to the next part. I'm sobered by this, y'all. We've got to examine ourselves. Say, David, are you saying we just excuse the way that people live and act and not say anything and don't stand up against sin? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. But we got to leave the judging to God. We can't even judge our own self properly. How many times have we judged our spouse or our child, our son or our daughter without listening to the full story first? We, don't, we can't judge people because we don't listen to them. We need to hear them out and we need to let them explain themselves. Number six, write this down. Remember, and here's the key part. I know there's two more points, and I'm, I'm closing fast. Remember, I'll be judged by the standard that I use on other people. Very wise man in my life going on to be with the Lord. Great, great man of God. He told me one time, and I've heard him preach it many, many times. He said, David, he said, he said this. He said, just remember that. Just remember that when we shrink the parameters of mercy for other people, God shrinks the same parameters of mercy for us. Right? Why is that? Because the Bible says that we must extend mercy to others. We, when we forgive other people in our life who have done us wrong, are you with me? Anybody ever been done wrong? When we forgive those people and we extend to them mercy, then God broadens the parameters of mercy in our own life. Matthew 7, 1 through 2. Do not judge others or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you will use, you will be measured. The way that we judge others is the way that we're going to be judged. And so by this standard, by this measure, I use this measure to measure others. How many of you need an abundance of mercy in your life every day? Aren't you glad that the Bible says that his mercies are fresh and new what? Every day. And here's another thing that I, that, that, that I say constantly. I really hope and pray that God is a lot more grace-giving at judgment than we give him credit for. Amen? Paul says the exact same thing in Romans 14.10. He says, you have no right to criticize your brother. You have no right to criticize your brother or look down on him. Remember, each one of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of 
God. So because of that, don't criticize each others anymore. How is God going to judge people? How is God going to judge us? Two ways, truthfully and impartially. Truthfully and impartially. God has the right to judge because first he has the authority. He is the lawgiver and he always judges truthfully, not based on people's opinion, but based on his word and the truth of his word. So he judges impartially. God is not prejudiced like we are. There is partiality. There is prejudice in our judgment system. We see it played out every day, but God is not that way. And I say it all the time. The only time that true justice will ever come to this world and to America is when Jesus comes back. That's the only time. Why? Because God is the only one who has the right to judge us. Last one. Here's the seventh one. And maybe the biggest reason for all of us, for me especially, to not be judgmental. Remember how God has shown me his grace. If I got what I deserve, then I wouldn't even be standing here tonight behind this podium. I said, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be even standing here tonight. I wouldn't even be even having the ability to take my next breath. But day after day, moment after moment, God has shown me grace and mercy. What does Ephesians 2, 8 says? He says, it is by what? Grace that you have been what? Saved. And you are delivered from the judgment through your faith, right? This is the salvation that is not your own doing, but it's what? God's gift to you. So the next time that we have a tendency to look at someone else, and cast judgment on that person, we need to remember how far God has brought us and where he found us. Oh, I can't preach it hard enough. I said I can't preach it hard enough and long enough. We need to remember daily where God brought us out of and what he brought us out of and what he delivered us from. And let me preach to the church people here tonight. You need to thank God in his grace from what he kept you from and what he's still keeping you from. Because it's not just grace for your past and it's not just grace for today, but it's grace for your future. And if we do make it, and I believe that we're going to make it, but when we do walk in those gates, whatever that looks like, it's not going to be by our own effort and by our own righteousness. It's going to be by the grace of God that has saved us that has delivered us by the grace of God that is walking with us every single day. It's by God's grace that I woke up this morning and took my first breath. It's by God's grace this morning that I woke up in my right mind. I know you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to keep hammering. It's by God's grace. I said, it's by God's grace. You got money in your bank, it's God's grace. You got food on your table, it's God's grace. You got the ability to go through McDonald's tonight, it's by God's grace. You've got a good family and children that love you, it's by God's grace. Could you stand on your feet tonight? It's by his grace. So what does that mean? When I understand that, I now have the ability to say, hey, 
I'm going to press pause on the judgment button. Because number one, I don't know what their story is. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't even know their true motivation. Are you, are you hearing me tonight? I know this has been heavy, but it's been good. Not because I preached it, because God delivered it to us. And we don't have the ability. Hear me very carefully. We don't have the ability to walk this out without the power of the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us. Religion, hear me very carefully. Religion will always elevate you into a place of critical judgmentalism. Hear me very carefully. And I'm not against religion. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But we have to be careful and understand that relationship through the power of the Holy Ghost and understanding what God has done for us and how he's paid the price for us. Lady, are, are, do, do you understand? You, you, didn't need, you didn't need just support. You, you, you didn't need just someone to come alongside of you and give you aid when God found you. God found you. You didn't find God. Hear me very carefully. You were dead and you needed resurrection. You were dead in your trespasses of sin. I just went to, I just preached a funeral two weeks ago. The guy in the casket never moved. You know why? He couldn't help himself. If he was moving, somebody else was going to move him. When God found you, you couldn't even move for yourself. I said, when God found you, you couldn't even move for yourself. It is by God's grace that he found you. It is by God's grace that he delivered you. It is by God's grace that he called you into a place of repentance. I said, it's by God's grace that he allowed you to get into waters of baptism. And if you've got the power of the Holy Ghost living on the inside of you, it's because of his grace. Could you lift your hands right now, Lord? Thank you for your word. I... Jesus. Oh, help us to see it. Help us to understand it. We're not excusing people's sin. We're leaving them at the foot of the cross. Oh, you saved me. You didn't leave me. I was the worst kind of sinner sitting on a pew thinking I was saved. But you saved me anyhow. In time after time after time that I walked away from you and I wanted to throw in the towel and wanted to give up. You never gave up on me. You never stop loving me. You never stop drawing me. God, give us the ability through the power of the Holy Ghost to go out into this world and love broken people, love hurting people, to speak life into wounded spirits.
God, do a work. Do a work. Heart surgery is not fun, but sometimes it's needed. Do a work. Forgive us. Forgive us for being judgmental to others. Forgive us being critical to others. Just as much as you've extended mercy to us, let us extend it to others. Even when they don't deserve it or it seems like they don't deserve it, let us extend it just as you've extended it to us. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your love. How many of you are thankful for the love of God tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wasn't that so good? Those of us that have been born on a Pentecostal pew, sometimes you can, you can think that all you needed to do is just turn over a new leaf. You needed, and I needed way more than just turning over a new leaf. We need a new life. And we can only get new life through Christ. I'm telling you, there's conviction in this room right now. And I think we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we, if we dismissed. I think what we all need to do right now is just lift up our hands and ask God to examine our hearts. I, I think we need to just ask God to examine our hearts.